So good to see you this morning. So good to see you in God's house. How many people were excited and glad that they made it? Wow, the church looks full to me. <laughs> if you could just wave, wave to one another, let's not forget that we also stand in the presence of one another. And much of what we will feel of God is that which we feel through one another. Much of what we feel of God will be experienced by what we feel through one another. And so you're important. You're important to God. He died to save us and to give you life. But he also died to put his spirit inside of us that we might give life to others. And so you're no spectator. It's important that you know that. Whether you have a part today or not, whether you are on schedule to serve or not, you're not a spectator in the kingdom of God. You are valuable to God. You are an asset in his kingdom. And church goes beyond these four walls. Church goes beyond the time slots that we have. We are the church of the living God. And we're a minister, whether we're in the building or not, whether the church is open or not, we are ministers. Paul liked to use the word ambassadors. In other words, we, 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 rep, we are representatives of God's kingdom here on earth. And so we're living in some perilous times. We're living in pressing times. And you would have to be ignoring uh, the world to not realize that we're living in pressing times. Every day is a day closer. Every day we draw nearer to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so what that means is more than us coming here to have an experience, we need to be growing in the Lord. We need to be growing in the Lord. And so my heart uh, as your pastor and the pastors of this church our heart is not that we just have an experience that we enter in and then we exit. More than that, we desire to have encounters with God, not just experiences at churches. Our desire is that we have encounters with God because when man or woman is left alone with God and experiences, experiences God, something happens. Sometimes it just takes one encounter with God for the whole trajectory of your life to change. Many of us are here today because we remember that moment. We remember that moment when we came in contact with God and something happened. That it was more than the words of people. It was more than the taste of church. Something happened where God met you. And in your mind and in your heart, there was no denial of him and his love. And so our pursuit is not church experiences, it's encounters with God. Because encounters with God are life-changing. And so our desire is that in the encounter, we are growing. We are growing. I, I've made up in my mind that I have to do everything in my power to help us to grow. We can't afford not to grow. I can't afford not to grow. You can't afford not to grow. And we have to grow in our love with God and our love with one another. But you have to be able to grow as an individual. Our times together are not promised to us. As we go closer to the end, there might be more of a separation amongst us. 
And so we need to be grounded. We need to be rooted. We need to be connected. We need to be intimate with God because there might be moments where it's only going to be you and God. It's only going to be me and God. And so I need to know him. I need to grow in him. My faith needs to be strengthened. I need to know who I am. I need to know who he says I am. I need to be growing in his presence. I need to be growing in prayer because prayer means that I'm communicating with him. I need to be growing in his word so that in moments when there's not a preacher, when there's moments where there's no YouTube and a sermon that I could put on, I still hear God. His voice is still clear to me. His voice is still growing me because of his word of God. And so we need to know what it means when we declare that we are Christians. We're more than churchgoers. This is more than a sorority. This is more than a membership club. If this is just a club for us, if this is just something that we plug in and plug out, that's not going to, that's not sufficient. It's not sufficient for the times that we're living in. It's not sufficient for all that is to come. And so I need to know what it is to be a Christian. I need to understand that I'm loved by God and that I'm saved by God. And I didn't save myself. I, my salvation is not in me. You can stay with me. My salvation is not found in me. And I need to understand that I've been justified by Jesus. The past two weeks, you know what we've been learning about? Justification. We just eliminated the churchy word. I didn't want you to get stuck on the churchy word. But we have life by his death. That's what we've been talking about the past two weeks here. Life by death. I'm alive. We have life. We're spiritually made alive because of the death of Jesus. And because of that death, an exchange took place. He took on my sinful nature and my sin was placed upon him. In exchange, I was given his righteousness. And so now you and I, as believers, we stand righteous before God. But not because we were righteous, but because God in his righteousness exchanged that for our wickedness. And then the wickedness was punished on a cross because the wages of sin is death. And so Christ took our death, hear me, so we can have his life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so we all have been justified. We have been justified. We're going to define it out. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here's our theme scripture for this entire series. And this one is the beautiful one. This is the verse that we probably have somewhere on a post-it note in our house or at our work. And it's beautiful. It should keep that post-it note up. I'm not telling you to take it down. But we're going to read a beautiful one. That's going to, that, 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 that speaks of his, of, of this beautiful justification that we have in him. And then we're going to read another passage of scripture that's a little bit more difficult to read. A little bit more challenging. One that requires responsibility. This first passage just requires faith and belief and trust. The next one's going to require responsibility. 
So let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many people have faith to believe and to trust that? Amen. It's that trust in faith that we are saved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This one's going to take a little bit more than faith. It's going to take responsibility. So many of us know 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The church has done a good job preaching that one. But here's one that, some passages that we, we the church has forgotten about. And when I say the church as a whole, we don't like to read the verses that require responsibility. We love to read the verses that just require our faith, not the ones that require our responsibility. But we're grow we need to grow this year. We can't afford not to. So we're going to be a church that we're going to buckle down, and we're going to embrace all that God has said through his word to us. Amen? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read eight verses. It says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. That's responsibility. Being a new creation is faith. Living in a way that pleases God is responsibility. As we have taught you. So this was being taught. The early church was being taught to live in a way that pleases God. Our modern day church, not so much. We just read all the faith verses and the belief verses and the proclaimant verses and the declare it verses and the promises verses. We love all the verses that only have to do with us believing and trusting. But I believe the reason why we suffer as the body of Christ is because we don't read the verses that require our responsibility and call us higher and call us forward. But we're going to be brave, right, dwelling place church? We're not going to be like the rest. We're not going to, you know, fall back. No. He says, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. So he says, you know what? You're not doing too bad, but I'm going to encourage you to keep on going. He goes, for you remember that we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. I'm going to read that verse in the New King James translation. This is what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. How many of us are praying, God, I want to know your will. God, I want to know your will. Is it prophecy? God, I want to know your will. Is it preaching? God, I want to know your will. Is it prophetic worship? God, I want to know your will. Is it the nations? This is the will of God, your sanctification. I've been searching God. I've been praying God. I've been in intercession God. I've been in workshops God. All for me to discover your will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. So the church does a good job of preaching about justification. 
But this is the part where we get stuck. There's three main uh, sections of our salvation coming to uh, completion. It's justification, which we talked about for the past two weeks. In the middle, there's sanctification, which we rarely ever talk about as a church. And then the last is glorification. That's the place that we love to talk about, too. We love to talk about we've been made right by God, and then we love to talk about that we're going to be in heaven with Jesus forever. But in between justification and glorification is sanctification. And so we're going to be brave, church, and we're going to understand this. I hope so. I hope so. So I pray God gives me a grace to help us. Verse 4. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. Each of you will control his own body. Each of you will control your own body. Yes, you need faith. Yes, we need hope. Yes, we need to trust. But we also need control. You're going to find that this is all over our scriptures. This is all over the New Testament church. It's missing in our church today. But it was not missing from the church that was founded on Jesus Christ. He says, verse 4 again, Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Look at verse 7. God has called us, us, not some, not the ambassadors only, not the apostles and the bishops and the elders. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not obeying human teaching, but is rejecting God. God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when we believe that it doesn't matter how we live, when we believe this narrative that is playing out in our church world today, we're not rejecting human teaching. We're rejecting God who has given us his Holy Spirit. Wow, that's hard. That's in the Bible too? Yes, it is. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, Father, we trust in you. We believe in you. Father, help us by your Holy Spirit to control ourselves, Lord. We desperately need your help, Lord. We cannot do this alone, but we're going to trust your word. Help us to search the scriptures to understand how it's even possible, Lord. Help us, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that there will be something that happens, not just in our hearts, Lord, 
but more so in our minds today, Lord. Father, we go on this journey with you and with your Holy Spirit. We trust you. Lead us, Lord. Help us to speak and love and with humility, Lord, of one another. So, Father, we thank you for the beauty of being in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. A round of applause and then you can be seated. So the past two weeks, we were under the theme, a new, human, a new humanity, life by death. Amen? That was the past two weeks, and they're available for you. If you're part of the Dwelling Place Church, if you're part of being here, I encourage you if, you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to the teachings. Go back and listen to the teachings. Uh, our goal is not that we come in here, have an experience, and walk out and just wait for the next one. The desire is that we grow and we grow. And so when we quote verses like, God's taking us from glory to glory, we, we know that that's only possible. You're only going from glory to glory when you're growing from glory to glory. You're not magic, magically hop-stepping into glory because you say the verse. It's happening by our growth in him, by our knowledge in him, by our intimacy with him, by the challenge of his Holy Spirit confronting us and us embracing that challenge. And so it's a challenge. In many ways, it's like a wrestling with us and God. There's a wrestling within ourselves, and we're going to talk about this. But Jacob had a wrestle with God. He had a wrestle with God, and he had an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And in the wrestling, he was wounded. In the wrestling, he got tired. But he held on in the wrestling. And in the end, he receives a name that is prophetic to his life and to his generation to come. And so most of us want to go from glory to glory. We want to declare things prophetically in the generation that's coming after us. And we want to, you know, throw oil all over our children and put it all over their bed and say they're going to be great. But that's not going to happen if you don't wrestle and hold on to God. And so we're going to wrestle for the next two weeks. And it's wrestling. It's, it's, it's going to be wrestling in, in the sense of this is not just going to, ah, this is not going to be a walk of bliss for us. And I know that. I know that this is not going to be a walk of bliss for anyone. It's not going to be one for me, and it's not going to be one for you. Because we're fighting something. We absolutely are fighting something. And so because we're fighting something, we have to wrestle. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to be under this theme, alive and well. It's a phrase, right? Have you heard it before? Alive and well. It's a phrase usually referring to maybe uh, when, you, when you're speaking out someone and you, you're clueless to how they're doing, uh, how are things. Maybe you haven't heard news. Uh, it's been silent over there. Uh, you know, we don't have any information. Are they alive? And so usually someone might say uh, they're alive and well, meaning yes, they continue to exist, but they're also doing good. And so that's usually reassuring. It's reassuring when you hear news that someone is alive and they are well because they could be alive and struggling they could be alive on their way out they could be alive and barely making it they could be alive and that's all last I heard but when someone says alive and well it means that they are alive and they are progressing they are alive and they're still going forward they're alive and they're still going up so I want to call this sermon as a Christian it's meant for us to be alive but also well Alive and still going forward. Alive and still going up. Alive and still going from glory to glory. Jesus, this reminds me of what Jesus said. The thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have what? 
life and have life abundantly. So Jesus was saying, I want you to have life in me, but I also want it to be well. I want you to be doing well. And this is the desire of your Christianity. Not that, yeah, I'm saved and I'm hanging in there. I'm saved and I'm there. And there are moments and there are seasons where you crawl in here, where you just get here. And yes, I'm not going to lie. There are things that will happen in life that will rock you and you barely make it. But the goal of the Holy Spirit in us, the goal of our, our salvation is to be alive and and to be well. And so if the enemy has lied to you recently that you're just saved, but you're going to be saved in a hot mess, or you're just saved, and you're going to be just saved and just barely get into the kingdom, and, and, and you know, you're going to get a 65 and get in, it's a lie from the enemy. His desire is that you're alive in him, but you're doing well in him. Yeah. I don't want our church just to keep having in church, you know, keep having church just for the sake of saying we're alive. We're still meeting. We still see each other. We still sing songs. There is that kind of church. There is that kind of day where you know you just, hey, I just made another day. I'm still hanging on to the faith. But the goal of our salvation, the goal of our church to be alive and well, alive and thriving, life and life abundantly. This is what we've been saying about this whole series. Being a Christian is about experiencing life. Life, like you feel life. More than church. More than the, the routine and more than the, yes, I did what I needed to do as a Christian. No. God wants you to have life. We should be feeling something within us. Not necessarily in our flesh, but within our spirit. It's like we should come here and feel and feel like our spirit coming back to life. If we came in a certain way, we should be leaving here with, with our burdens being placed at the altar and, then, and, 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 and yoking together with, through the Holy Spirit onto God and feeling the weight and feeling, feeling strength coming uh, uh, to us in, in areas where we felt weak. The desire, of, uh, the goal of being a Christian is to experience life. And over these next two weeks, maybe more so next week, we want to define what life is because it's so general. Because I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is God wants you to have life and have life more abundantly means that whatever your idea, whatever makes you happy, that that's what God wants to fill. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that God wants to make you happy according to how you in your own wisdom define happiness. We've also been having Bible studies that man in his own wisdom, when we choose what is good for us and we decide what is right and what is wrong, most of the time it leads to death. But God in his wisdom has defined what is good and what is bad for man. And when we choose what God has defined as wisdom that leads to life, when we choose that, we experience this life. And so what is justification? I'm going to define that. We have it here for you. Justification is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. So when we say that, have you ever said that? I've been justified. I'm justified. I have justification. When the church says justification, this is what justification means. That you have right standing with God. That you've been declared righteous in the sight of God. And how? Because of the work of Jesus. We also were reading about, we have been given the word reconciliation. God, through Jesus, has reconciled our account, our, our standing, and our balance. 
and has given us right standing with God. Weeks one and two, so I don't have to preach them right now. So justification happens through Jesus Christ. So we then have right standing before God. You're declared righteous. That's powerful. Because at the moment of your salvation, at the moment of all of our salvations, when we said yes and we surrendered our hearts and we turned our lives over to God, you there in that moment by faith, not by your works, were declared righteous. What? That's powerful. And that should be more powerful to you than to me. Because only I know all my wickedness. Only I know all my wrong. Only I know all my sin. Only I know all my lying, all my stealing, all my pride, all my cheating. Only you know you. So when you say yes to God, to know that, wow, when I say yes to God, I am declared righteous. This is why we can say you're a new creation in him. That's meant to be personal. More than people clapping for you, that's something that you should experience for yourself. Like, oh, my goodness, only I know filthy old me. And now I have right standing before God. Only through Jesus could that be possible. But that's a crazy word to attach to a person like me. Don't you agree? Righteous? Righteous? Wait, God, I opened my heart and now I'm declared righteous? Yes. It's a declaration. It's a word over those who trust in the Lord. Being righteous is to be declared righteous. Not because we've acted righteously, but in coming to Christ, God declares you righteous. Powerful, right? Declared righteous. This is kind of like you as a parent, any parents in here who have children, and you know your child is struggling, and you know your child is having a hard time, could be with their academics, could be with their behavior. And what do you do as a parent? You say, you're better than this. Or you as a parent, you say, I know you're smarter than this. Or you as a parent say, you can do this. You know what you're doing? You're declaring them to be what you know they can be despite of them being where they are. And so us as parents, we do this to take our children out from where they are to help bring them to where we know that they can be. So even though when my child is acting like a knucklehead, I say, you're a good boy. You say the opposite of what they are. You say the opposite of what they're doing. Why? To bring by your word to help them become what you know they can be. Right? So justification works the same way. God sees where you're at. He sees you in your mess. He sees you in your chaos. And because you're his child, when you come to him, he says, you are righteous. But you as a parent know that you're saying to your little boy, you're a good little boy, not because he is a good little boy, but because you want him to become a good little boy. And so you saying you're a good little boy is prophetically speaking into the child so that they could become. So here's the beautiful thing of how justification works with sanctification. Justification is prophesying unto sanctification. When you come in to the kingdom, yes, your life is a hot mess. But God says you're a new creation in me, my little boy. You are righteous. 
But the purpose of him declaring you righteous is so that you can become righteous. So let's look at what sanctification means. Sanctification is the process of becoming righteous, holy. So my justification, God looks at me and says, you're now clean. You are righteous. Sanctification is the process of me becoming what my father has spoken to me. It's a prophetic word. Justification is meant to intend sanctification. God has declared us righteous so that we will become righteous. He doesn't call you righteous so that you can stay where you're at. He calls you righteous so that we can become righteous. And, and this, you say, well, that's just crazy. How could God expect something from me? This is how God works in all things. It's not just in our sanctification. It's not just about our justification. This is how God works as a God. Our, the whole creation happens by this principle. I want to just remind you of, of, of Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Tell us this, that, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light. So what was there before? Darkness. And God saw the darkness and, said, no, and said, no, let there be light. And then what happens? Then there was light. And so the whole rest of creation is based upon God speaking something that is not as though it was. And so he declares the word, and then the release of the word gives the potential for the thing to become what God said. This is how God works as a God. So God is not afraid to take someone who was a sinner for 30 years, look at them and say, I declare you righteous. Because in the word of declaring you righteous, it's putting the power in you to become something that you weren't. And so he looks at the dark waters and says, let there be light. And next thing you know, here comes light. Because there's also power in God's word when he speaks. So this is why God was not afraid to justify us through his son, because he knows that by justifying us through his son, it has power for us to be conformed into the image of his son. And so my Christian life and your Christian life and your yes to Jesus is not just to save you from a hell later on, but it's to give you a life that is redeemed, restored, sanctified, that you can live right now. Life is not for something that happens in glory later on. It's something that we can experience right now, right here. We can, be, we can start be becoming now. You can start becoming now. You can start changing now. You can start being made new now. It's not, oh, great, I joined the Jesus Club, and I'll see you guys later on in heaven one day. No, it's for now. It's for the life that we're living now. It's for the time that you're in right now. It's for the moment that you're in right now. It's for the struggle that you're in right now. It's for the fight that you're in right now. God has declared us righteous so that we could become righteous. This is what the church needs to understand. The church, the present day church needs to know that God has declared us righteous so that we can start becoming righteous. This is the message that, no, we're not going to talk about this one in the church. And I'm not saying our church, and I'm not saying you, but it's good that we as a dwelling place church, that we don't just fall to what all the other churches might be doing or what some churches or what, what the messages that you, do you notice all the messages out there? You can do it. You're great. You're awesome. You can do anything. 
<laughs> following a post, God's going to answer all your prayers this week. Say amen. Amen. <laughs> this is the gospel that we have. Today, all your prayers will be answered. Type amen. And we're like, amen, I believe, brother. I have faith, brother. Amen, amen. <laughs> like, is that really how this works? Are you looking at our world? Are you seeing what's taking place? You know the tension that's out there? Maybe not. Maybe half of us are sleeping. But there's some crazy things going on. So crazy, I don't know to talk about them or not to talk about them. So hard to talk about them. But all I'm going to tell you is wake up. Wake up. It's not what you see. It's not, there's more beneath the surface. And it could get real. And so we can't afford, you can't afford to have this Christian faith that thinks because you type amen, your prayers are answered. That's, that's not going to hold you in a moment that gets crazy. What happens if they say we can't meet anymore? What happens if they turn off YouTube on us? What happens if our internet goes out for a week? Golly, the end of the world. Some of you are going to just bury, take me Jesus now. <laughs> take me, Lord, take me now. But what happened if the internet shut down? What happened if your Bible apps crash and they can't load? What happens if they say, we can't come to church this week? You're only left with your sanctification. And if you don't have any sanctification, then you got nothing left. Trust me, I don't know what to say up here at times regarding our world. And I have those conversations with my wife and my kids. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know what to say. I don't know what... And, and so at the least, this is why we start praying. This is why on prayer calls, we're like, we're going to pray for our country and for our nation. Because everybody feels a different way, and that's okay. But I'm just telling you right now, it's crazy, and there's more than what's on the surface. And so we have to be growing in God. We have to be. Because if we're not growing in God, as life happens, forget about it. We can't even, we can't, we barely survive regular things of life. Imagine our whole world and our government and everything flipping upside down. It's going to reveal. It's going to reveal where we really are at. But the power of sanctification or the power of justification that God declares us righteous is that it's God who's saying it. And when God speaks, there's power in his word. His words are life, and the whole world was created by his wisdom and by the power of his word. There was no light. He declared it, and it became. By a word, he separated the skies from the ground. He, he, he declared it, and it became. He told the skies to be filled with the fowls of the air. He declared it, and then it had the potential to become. So I know you probably don't, you know, you lived a crazy life for X amount of years, and now God is saying you're righteous, and you're like, there's no way. There's no way me on your own. No, there is no way you. But a God that can call light into existence, a God that can fill the earth by his spoken word, 
A God by his breath could be, bring life to all humanity. If that God speaks, then all things are possible. And so I know righteousness naturally to you is the furthest thing from you. Let's not lie. But we're saying, but if God speaks righteousness over you, if God prophesies uh, holiness over you, that's a whole nother story. It's a whole nother story. So let's read Titus. Paul writes a letter to Titus. He actually authorizes Titus. Titus is, 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 is responsible for a church that is over in Crete. And, 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 and this church is suffering, and, and Paul is authorizing Titus to, to, to put in, to put in a, a good leadership there. The church is suffering because of bad leadership. There, there, there's, there, Paul uh, is telling uh, Titus, you know, there, 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 there's false teachers and false leaders out there that are trying to bring back Judaism into the church. And, and, so, and so as a result of that, the church is suffering, and they're trying to install all these Jewish uh, 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 teachers and establish festivals again and, 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 and let the church confused because they're trying to have faith in Jesus but now they're, they're, they're trying to be a, a mixture of Judaism with them and they're enforcing all of this and you know what's the end result? No more. It doesn't produce anything good in the people. It leaves them confused and as a result of the mixture and the false teaching it actually leaves them a little bit immoral and so they're suffering as a result of bad teaching and so Paul is telling Titus, if you read the book of Titus, it's not long. He's trying to tell him to replace the leadership, put back good teaching back in the church. And look what he goes on to say. He goes in verse 11, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, he goes, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's, it's not in becoming Jewish. It's not in doing the festivals. It's not in doing this. It's not in circumcision. He says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's it. End the discussion. And, and, and what is the grace of God that has appeared that offers salvation to all people? Jesus. His death on the cross his burial, but his resurrection. We know where our salvation comes from. We know where our justification comes from. It comes in the grace of God given to us through Christ Jesus. And he says this, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not, not in a time of glory. Yeah, of course. In that time of glory, I mean, the Bible tells us he's going to wipe away all the tears uh, uh, from our eyes. No more crying in that time of glory. Uh, there's no more sin in the world. This is amazing. And, and the devil and all his demons and all the workers of iniquity are thrown into the lake of fire. Of course that's going to be a glorious time. There's no infiltration of sin. There's no enticement of sin. But what he's saying now is that you can live controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You don't got to wait till later for something godly to happen now. We don't have to wait till later for, for us to see a manifestation of God's presence now. We don't got to wait till later to be good. We don't got to wait till later till we got wings on our backs and white long robes for us to be called holy. He's saying the grace of Jesus, the gospel that offers salvation to all people, that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live controlled, 
upright and godly lives in this present age. I have, yes, I have to have faith and belief, but I have to have control in order for that to happen. That's the, that's the responsible part. And so I don't want us as a church to get lost in the sauce of, 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 of you know, God loves you and he died for you. And he don't care what you do. And he don't care. You know, I, 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 he don't care. I'm justified. I am the righteousness of God. That's, it. That's what an ignorant person will say. God don't care. I am the righteousness of God. Yes, that was a prophetic word for you to become the righteousness of God. And so we get it. You get it, right? God spoke it, anything he speaks, is so that it could become. And so when you say I'm justified, it means that you're being prompted to become, not to stay the same, not to remain at that level. This is why we say from glory to glory. How is that happening? Through justification that is prophesied and declaring that you're going to become glorious. It goes on to say, while we wait for the blessed hope. So we say no to ungodliness, to live self-controlled lives in this present age while we are waiting for the hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're doing all of that while we wait for his return. That's meant to be happening now in my life and your life. Not waiting for that day. Look, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Oh my goodness, I have to be good too? Yes. It doesn't say who gave himself to redeem us from wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to go to church, eager to sing a song, eager to dance. It says eager to do what is good. That goes beyond. That includes my song, but goes beyond my song. That includes my sermon, but goes beyond my sermon. That includes my God bless you, brother and sister, how you're doing, highly favored, beloved. <laughs> to, to when church ends, God bless you, my brother, how you're doing. It goes beyond talking good. It includes talking good, but it, but it goes into doing good, acting good, living good. Okay, where am I? Verse 15. These then are things you should teach. He's, he's telling Titus, this is what you got to do in this church. Because right now this church is broken and they're confused. All the false teaching led to ungodliness in the church. And Paul knows that in order to fix the church is to restore leadership that will bring good teaching, that will lead to godliness. And he's telling him, then these then are the things you should teach, Titus. Look, encourage them and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Don't let anyone despise you because Paul already foresees that the minute he starts to correct its leadership, he starts to put good teaching, they start to teach about sanctification, that there's going to be opposition. The minute our church starts teaching about good leadership, 
sound doctrine and sanctification is the minute that the other churches that are not down with that are going to start to, oh, you religious Pharisees. You religious people. We're the justified ones. And you say, yeah, you are justified. Justified unto sanctification. <laughs> it's what we all are. 1 John chapter 3, I'm going to read 10 verses. They're having issues in their church too. They're having issues in their church too. What has happened to this church is that the Greek culture of the time has infiltrated the church. In the Greek culture, the spirit was good. The flesh was absolutely depraved. And so they believed in Jesus, but because of the Greek culture that says, no, the flesh is evil, it cannot be good, no, nothing, nothing, nothing good. What ended up happening, because they believed the message that Jesus Christ was the son of God that came in the flesh, then they started to doubt the message of Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah is, is God who has come down in the flesh, and so the corruption and the pollution of the culture then told them and caused doubt that Jesus could even be the son of God, because only the spirit is good. And so now the church starts to suffer. And so what they start to do is they start to doubt Jesus as their Messiah. But then they try to say that they're in fellowship with God. But as a result of that bad teaching, guess what happens to their behavior? Guess what happens? To them? They start sinning and acting all crazy. It doesn't help them. Just like what happened to the church in Crete. False teaching didn't help them. And it led them to live unrighteous. Same thing here. The, the perversion of the Greek understanding infiltrated their faith in Jesus, and it didn't help them. They didn't get better. They didn't become more loving. They actually started being worse. And so now John, the apostle John, uh, the beloved of Jesus, is writing this letter, uh, and look what he says. See what great love. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Remember, in their understanding, the flesh is evil, only the spirit is good. Only the spirit is good. And so they doubt Jesus as their Messiah, and then they doubt who they are because they're in the flesh too. So he's reaffirming to them that they are children of God. Yes, God is a spirit, but he loves you, humanity. He goes, and, uh, he goes, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known. So there's something coming, he's saying. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And look what he's, he goes on to say, verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. It's, it, this, is a, this is not Paul. This is John. But the message is the same. Yes, we have a hope that Jesus is coming and his return. But Paul told Titus, you live, self, you live controlling your life now. And now John is telling them, you purify, purify yourselves now. Different men, same message. This shows you the consistency of the gospel, the oneness of the gospel, that it doesn't matter who's preaching it, the message is still the same. Yes, we're waiting on our, the return of our Messiah, but it doesn't mean that we live however while we wait. We live 
self-controlled lives now. And we live purifying ourselves. So in other words, we should be asking ourselves the question, am I getting better? That's like personally. Am I getting better? Or do some of us believe we have already arrived? And the person that feels that they have already arrived is a person that is unteachable, untrainable, cannot <laughs> reject submission, rejects, rejects correction. These are signs of people who think they arrived. They don't read their Bible because they feel they read it once. They don't go to Bible study because they feel they already know the Bible. They, go, they don't go to prayer because they already feel they have an intimacy with God. Like, these are signs to ourselves of thinking that we arrived. Of verse 4. So now look, he, now he's going to say some tough stuff. And this seems like really, really extreme. But it's for a point. Remember, they, they allowed the infiltration of, of a culture of their time to infiltrate their sound doctrine. And it resulted in immorality and corruption and sin in their life. But then they were claiming to be in fellowship with God. So it's almost like they accept Jesus. Jesus connects them to God. Then because of the philosophy, they reject Jesus but think they're connected to God. But the proof of them not being connected to God is that they were living in sin. And so now John's going to correct it and be like, it doesn't work that way. It's very hard for you to reject Jesus as the Messiah but claim a connection to God and live any old way. So, so look, in that context, this is what he writes. And we've read this before. Verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So they're already starting to push Jesus out of their faith. He's trying to bring Jesus back into, into the faith. Uh, what verse was I at? Uh, six. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Because these are people who are saying they're connected to God, but living like they don't know God. How can you make a claim to God and live any old way? So, so we're learning through our Bibles that we can't do that. You can't claim that you're in fellowship and union with beautiful, righteous God, especially Yahweh God, like, like, like Yahweh God. You, you, you can't say that and just live in sin. He goes on to say, no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So now he's getting tough with them. He's like, anyone who's in sin, you can't. You have neither seen him or known him. He's getting tough. Then he says, dear children... Verse 7, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he, meaning God, is righteous, Jesus. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God can continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. He's like, how in the world are you proclaiming 
to be associated with God, and you live recklessly. If God is in that person, those that believe God has destroyed the works of the devil, has destroyed the sin nature in you, you, there's no way this is what your life looks like, and you claim to be a child of God. He goes on to say, this is how we know. Look, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. I didn't say that. Because at times, I, what I do, I, I look like the children of the devil. But you see, the protection of the gospel that these writers are writing to these new Christians. And so us as a church, there's a lot of young people here. And, 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 and I'm not saying you, gotta, you have to understand all of this in order for you to say yes to Jesus. Right? Because faith comes by, you know, our, our faith comes by hearing. Right? Hear, hearing the word of God. And then we're saved by that. We, we say, yes, I trust you, God. And, and your salvation happens at a moment of trust, not at a, at a full understanding. But it's the responsibility of the church to then teach and disciple those that just said yes to Jesus. And so it becomes the responsibility of the youth leaders. It becomes the responsibility of the children's teachers. It becomes the responsibility of the pastors in the church that after you have said yes to Jesus, we then are teaching what it means to be a Christian. And so, yes, you've been declared righteous. You are right in the sight of God and justification, but you have been declared that so that you can become that. And so you can't now say, I said yes to Jesus, but then, but then keep on living how you were living before you met Jesus. It doesn't work that way. And that's what, that's what John is, is screaming at. And he's saying, if that's the case, then you're not a child of God. You're a child of the devil. He's just trying to get them to open their eyes and say, oh, my goodness. I, I said yes to God, but, 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 but I'm exactly who I was before. I'm, I'm nasty. I have an attitude. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I am bitter. I am prideful. I am sexually immoral. I am a liar. I am a thief. This is all stuff that all of us can relate with. But in Christ, you're a new creation, justified, called onto sanctification. And, 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 and if I've been serving God a while and I'm all those things still, I have to really think about am I a child of God or am I a child of the devil? So, so I know this is hard because you read that, it's like, but come on, pastor. The person who sinned doesn't know God? Is it taken away? Remember how the, his, his language is so strong because he's trying to get them to understand. Okay? And so I know what many of us are asking. And I asked I ask this question myself. Well, how is it even possible to be righteous? Because it's, it's easy then to, to yell this at the church. Sanctification, holiness, right? Like, like. That's part of the job, to make an awareness that there is a calling onto sanctification. And what does righteousness mean? Being right, doing right. But not doing right in your own eyes, doing right as what God defines as right. 
It's just like when we say God wants you to have life and life abundantly. Not life how you envision it. Because my, my, in my imagination to myself, life is this and this and this and that. And life to you might be something else, this, that, and the other. But to God, life is defined. He decides what life is. And it's the same for all of us. So how is this possible? Like, I'm asking myself the question, how can this filthy flesh be any good? Right? Because you just said yes to Jesus. You know, you got tears coming down your eyes. You got some other stuff coming over here, right, in the church. You felt the message, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to let my God, I fall into your arms, right? And then you read a passage of scripture like this. You're like, what in the world? It's more than this moment of yes. Yes, it is. And so then we got to ask the question, well, how is this even possible? And you know what ends up happening? Because we never talk about how this actually works. Someone comes to church for the second time, like, oh, okay, they lift up their hands and during the song, okay, and they, you know? And then we start just doing what we see other people doing. Oh, they fall on their knees. You know, you came into church that first week, you're like, yo, what's up? But then the person greeted you, God bless you, sister. The next week, you're like, God bless you, brother. <laughs> right? If the church is dominated by a style, shamefully, a person will change who they are to just look and fit in. And this is how you get churchianity. This is how you learn Christianese. You start doing and saying what you see. And so you think becoming a Christian is becoming churchy. And then the church is not talking to you about what sanctification is. And you think that sanctification is about what you're doing on the outside. And you think sanctification is behavior modification. And let me tell you this, you can only do that for so long. You can only act a certain way that you're not for so long. That's in relation to how you talk to people. If you're not really being sanctified and not, don't really know what that is, in a couple of weeks, that brother or sister is not going to say hi to you. You'll be like, why you ain't say hi to me? <laughs> you're going to snap. You're going to lose it, right? You're going to fall off. Like, oh, being a Christian is going to church every single week. And then the week that you fall off, now you feel terrible about yourself. And you're like, well, I'm not going to go back. You thought being a Christian was about being perfect, you choosing to be perfect, you doing that in your strength. And the minute you make a mistake, now you're filled with shame, you're filled with regret, you're filled with guilt, and you don't come back because you were doing behavior modification. So I, I want to say this. You really can't change you. And here's another thing. It's going to sound a little bit crazy, but I, I, God's not even trying to change your old you. He's not even trying to change your old you. When we look at Scripture, God's not trying to change you. He's not trying to get behavior modification. He's not trying to make you a better person. No, as a matter of fact, <laughs> look what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says this. He doesn't say, I try to be good. 
He didn't say, I changed my behavior. He didn't say, I changed my speech. He didn't say, you know, I started doing this. He didn't say, I became a good boy. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It was not about, he's saying, God didn't change me. He killed me. I died with Christ. God is not trying to make an old person good. God wants that guy to die. He's trying to kill. He's trying to kill that old man. He's trying to kill that old woman. God knows that you can't redeem that old thing. He's trying to kill that old man. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Jesus died on the cross, and there's a, there's a me that died with him. He said, it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And this is the problem. We come to church, say yes to Jesus, and then we try to change us. No, we've got to tell people, you come to church, you say yes to Jesus, and God wants to kill that old man. This is why then we're a new creation in him. Because something died in us. And that is the premise of sanctification. That's at the foundation of sanctification. That you died with Christ. Not that he made a bad thing good. Why would Christ die and then he, you get to live? Why would he die on a cross and then you, you just get to live? No, he, he died physically so that then your sin nature could die. And then, and then you could live a new life that is in him. This is why sanctification we don't talk about. Because we're telling people, even when we talk about it, we're talking about from, you got to change this, you got to stop doing this, you got to start doing this. And I said this last week, an old dog can't really learn new tricks. But Christ didn't die for an old dog to learn new tricks. He died so that you could be a new creation. And that has to be at the foundation of your understanding. Part of the reason why we're not sanctified is because we don't believe that we can be sanctified. You just tell yourself, I gotta, you know, I'm just gonna do the church thing as much as I can, and then when I mess up, I'll just do the church thing again, and then when I fall off, you know, and, and some people don't survive that because you're overwhelmed by, and then you feel like a hypocrite, and you feel like this isn't working, and then you walk away. This is why people come to church and then disappear. If sanctification and our bad message about it doesn't get them, then in their justification, them not hearing it, bad teaching will get them, thinking they can live any way, and just their ungodly lifestyle will get them. They'll be lost in it. And so our sanctification begins with us knowing that it's not about me changing my behavior first. It's about knowing that God has changed my nature. That's what I want to get into our heads for the last minutes of this. You are no longer who you are. And the same way how in justification God declares us righteous so that we could become righteous, you need to start declaring things to yourself. Even before you try to do a good habit, you, you got you to gotta believe and know that If the year started and you said, I'm going to get fit this year, fit for the summer, 2021, coming soon, right? You put a picture of you 
You put fit for the summer, come in 2021, right? The only person that's going to stay committed is not the person that changed their behavior and got a good routine. It's the person that has believed that here. So that when the days get tough and you don't feel like going, you, you, you push through and you keep your commitment and you keep your covenant because something's happening here deeper than the routine, deeper than the practice. And the practice is only going to hold if here holds, okay? You're only going to complete that if, if this holds, and that is true for sanctification. If you're just trying to be good, but don't, but don't understand, understand it here. And next week, what, what time is it? Where am I? I think I might be on like perfect time. It's like perfect time to end. Okay. Where am I? What time is it? I don't know where I'm at. It's 11.45. I'm in the dwelling place church. Sunday, January 17th. I want you to declare some things to yourself. I am not who I was. I am not who I was. I am not who I was. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live. It is Christ in me. Remember in the letter to, in the letter to Titus, he was like, you're not rejecting Human teaching. You're, you're rejecting God, and look how he ended. Do you remember? Who gave you the Holy Spirit. So you're definitely not who you were. Because before, it was just sin for you. Now, it's a new you and the Holy Spirit living with you. So for all of you who have been telling yourself sanctification is not possible, that becoming and doing right is not possible, I w that's the lie. That's the lie of the church. That's the lie of bad teaching. That's the lie of not talking about it. That's the lie. I wanted to get out your head, and I want you to declare that I am the righteousness of God. But the reason why you're declaring that is because you're prophesying that you will become the righteousness of God. And, and I will purify myself. And I will be self-controlled. And, and I will do that as I wait, as I wait for the glorious return and the blessed hope of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I will live a life of sanctification now. Paul said in Romans 6, 4 to 8, he says, therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. So when Christ died physically, my, my old self died with him. He says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk Walk in the newness of life. Look what he says. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, 
certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, look, that the old man was crucified with him. Something died when Christ died. Your old, your old sin, sin nature died. That happened spiritually. And I don't know if we talked about it. I don't know if we told you, but I got to tell you now. I got to tell you now so that you don't think that you're still a slave. That you're still a slave to that. You know why so many people go back? Because they think that they're still enslaved to it. They haven't been told that they've been uh, set free. They haven't been told that, that there's a power of the Holy Spirit with them that, that, that will allow them n not to be bound anymore. And that's the message that, that, that the church needs to be preaching. We can't just come up here and grab the Bible and says the Ten Commandments say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Without telling people and explaining to people how sanctification works, how justification works, how your old man is dead and that the Holy Spirit is with you. If I just come out here with the word of God and use it as a rule book to whip people, that's only going to whip them into behavior modification, but that doesn't last. Because... Because their mind is embracing the gospel with, 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 with a bad understanding of what's taking place in their life. I wonder if this is why we've been struggling for so long as Christians. I wonder if this is why so many people come and go. I wonder why, why when people fall, then they have guilt and they don't know how to recover. Is it because the church, the leadership has failed? The influence of the world around us and the culture of other churches has influenced us to the point that it's corrupted our understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the way to fix that was to fix leadership and to fix teaching in a church. And that's how you help a church that is suffering. That's how you help a church that is struggling with their, with the sin. We'll be lying if we say we're not struggling. We'll be lying if we don't say that people are not struggling right now with, with greed and with anger and with rage and with bitterness and with unforgiveness and with lust. And we'll be lying to ourselves. This is the wrestling while being in our earthly bodies. But you need to know right now before you count yourself out and fail before you fail, you need to tell yourself that my old man was crucified with Jesus. Start telling your, start speaking life into yourself. Some of us sin because we told ourselves already that we were going to. And you lost the battle before it started. Half of us are sinning just because of how we understand it. Because we say, no, I, I can't be righteous. So then you just give in. And if you would have fought a little bit, you wouldn't have fell. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, and I'm going to finish with this verse. Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. Did you hear? Jesus said, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And Paul said, I, I've lost my life. I've been crucified with Christ. I lost my life, but I gained his. I lost my life, but I gained his. Paul went on to say, I've been buried with Christ through baptism. And as Christ resurrected, 
I too should also walk in the newness of life. I need you to believe that so that you don't fail before you fail. That you don't set yourself up for failure. You've been justified. Which means you now stand in the righteousness of God. You have been declared righteous. But understand that God is declaring you righteous. And if God, through the power of his word, has the ability to call those things that be not as though they were, then yes, he can call a wicked person clean. He can, he can, he can call someone in drunkenness. He can call them sober and of a sound mind. He can call the prostitute a virgin as his bride cleansed by the word of God later on. God has the power to declare those things. He has the, he has the ability to, to call someone who was a slave to sin, sin. In his word, he can call him a slave unto righteousness. He has the power to declare so that we could become. And so for everyone trying to find the will of God for their life, getting beat up by life, trying to find it, getting beat up, losing battles. You know it's the will of God, church? Our sanctification. Your sanctification. While we wait on the glorious return where everything in a twinkling of an eye, I'm going to be caught up in the air, and those that are dead will be raised with him. While we wait on that day and you get your wings. <laughs> Self-controlled purify lives. Don't worry, I'm not done. I have a bunch of stuff. That's for next week. That I believe it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us. But this week, tell yourself, I am the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who, know, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Tell yourself that. Tell yourself, I have died with Christ. This is why I'm a new creation. And God does have life for you. And next we're going to define what that life is. I'm going to invite. I want to make an invitation for those in here that are maybe struggling like their faith, like the church that Titus and Crete had to go to, like the church that John had to write to, like the church that... Paul had a right to. It was people who were struggling with their faith who because of not understanding the word of truth, it led, it was the open door for them to be overwhelmed by wickedness and unsanctified living. If you're in here and you're struggling, if you're fighting this fight and you're losing these battles, if maybe you're in here, but you're in here feeling guilty and shamed. If you're in here and you told yourself, I'm never going to get any better. I'm this old man just going to church. If you're in here saying, I'm alive and just surviving. Today I want to tell you that the word of the Lord spoken over you is, you're alive and well. And I say that prophetically over you. You are alive and you're going to be well. 
You're alive and you're going to go from glory to glory. You're alive and you're going to go from justification into sanctification. You're alive and you're going to go from being a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness. If that's you, I want to just invite you wherever along those lines you stand. Maybe you've never accepted Christ and you know that you're just, you're a slave to yourself. But you know it's killing you. We know that even when we sin, let's be honest, even when we sin and it satisfies us, how long does that satisfaction last? A moment. Immediately, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I wish I didn't do that. I just, look what I just did. I just destroyed this. I just destroyed that. Like immediately, it's like all of a sudden the scales are removed and now you speak. But then we, we do it again and then we do it again and we do it again. If, if that's you, if you're in that pattern, you don't need a preacher to tell you that you need life. You don't need a preacher to tell you you need something else. Many of us, when we get to that point and we're disgusted with ourselves, this is what leads, like disgusted with ourselves, finding life meaningless, uh, life happening to us and feeling so unworthy. This is what causes people to even question their existence. And then this becomes a door for people to say, you know what, my life's not worth it. Why am I here? No one really cares about me. You, st you don't care about yourself sometimes. And the, and the enemy takes advantage. He's the father of lies. He starts speaking in that moment. Today, I want to tell you that there's a life that is in Christ Jesus. And I want to invite you. So if that's you anywhere along these lines, I'm just going to invite you to stand up where you're at. And I'm going to ask if, you, if everyone else just bow their heads in reverence. And I want to make a prayer for us. We're almost done. But if it's you, you know who you are. Wherever you fall, I just want to invite you to stand up and I'm going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this day. I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for everyone that contributes to this moment, to these moments that we have with one another. There are people contributing in the shadows, Lord. I thank God even for the people in the shadows. Father, we thank you that you, you, you meet us here, that you're in us, but then your presence manifests as we come together and glorify and worship you, Lord. Father, we thank you that in worship we get to, we get to enter into your presence, and, and there's an atmosphere of, of you being in our midst, Lord. We thank you for that. We felt that. We know it's here. Father, we thank you for your word. This is not man's word. This is not my word. This is not a pastor's word. This is, this is your word. All scripture is inspiration and God breathed by you, Lord. So it's yours. Thank you for entrusting it to us. I pray that we will be careful to respect and honor it as it is. And that we be gracious and loving as we deliver it and give it to your people. As you call this to us, pastors and teachers and elders. Father, today we declared your word. Father, I pray that it was received with grace, not received in condemnation. There's no one that is without sin, Lord, so I don't deliver this word in self-righteousness and imperfection of myself, Lord. I deliver it in the truth that it is your word, and it's your word of life, Lord. So I pray for the person that is standing right now, wherever they're at in their life, Lord, 
struggling within their self, struggling with their own nature, struggling with sinful nature, struggling, feeling bound to sin, a slave to sin, Lord. I pray that today they would know that as you have justified them, that there's power unto their sanctification, Lord. That you do have a life better, Lord God, and that their old man was crucified and they're no longer a slave. So, Father, I pray that your word, not my words, your words will replay over and over and over in their mind as we leave this place and that your Holy Spirit will speak to them beyond this moment, Lord. That's, that's, that's only something your Holy Spirit could do. I, I can't do that, Lord, but your Spirit can, Lord. And may your Spirit translate and interpret the words that they all heard, Lord, catering it to them and to who they are, Lord. Because none of us are the same. None of us are in the same exact situation. So it's only your Holy Spirit that could really go to the depths of who they are and into their being. But I pray that they will all hear this, Lord God, that they have been justified, that they are the righteousness of God, so that they could become holy and righteous, and that your Holy Spirit is in them, that they're not a slave, they're not bound, they're not condemned, to the sin that destroys them, to the sin that hurts them. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit be with us. And for the person that doesn't know you, may today be a day that they decide. And if you're in here or if you're watching online, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ, if we confess Christ, he's faithful to forgive us of our sin, that if we confess, we will be saved. So to, to anyone here or watching, Father, I pray that they would just have this moment with you. It's not a moment with man. It's a moment with you. And that they will wrestle if they have to in this moment, Lord. That they would not give in as the enemy fights them in this decision and, and, and is tugging at their heart. All the emotions that go with this moment, Father, I pray that they, would, that they would fight and that your Holy Spirit will help them even now. For no one could even call on the name of the Lord without the Holy Spirit. So may your Holy Spirit, Lord God, embrace them right now and wrestle with them, Lord God, into this decision of life, Lord. May they believe in the message of the cross, your blood shed for their sins, for their forgiveness. But may they also know that there was a burial, and in that burial, their, their, their old self is dying. So that we could declare them to be new. And that you rose from the grave so that we too can walk in the resurrection of new life. I pray that as we leave here that we have grown, God. Not that we just had a moment and an experience, but we have grown, Lord. And so when we talk about going from glory to glory, it's because we have grown from glory to glory in our understanding, Father. Father, we just thank you. We rejoice in you. And we give you all honor and we give you all praise. We pray all of this in your son's name. And the church says, amen. God bless you guys.